never succeed taking all that God had given them. They, they, they missed out on so much because they never actually took it. And we've been comparing ourselves as believers to that, that we miss out on taking all that God has given us. Now, <clears throat> I want you to understand that when it comes to the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel is not like the church. Judges chapter 1. Judges chapter 1. Right? The nation of Israel is not like the church. It's a picture of the individual believer, how God deals with you and I. Right? You're looking at the nation here, but this is how God deals with you and I. So many pictures transfer over from the church, but they transfer over in an individual sense rather than in a congregational sense. Right? It's you because you're the one he's dealing with. Right? But look at Judges chapter 1. And look at verse 21 with me. Now, we're going to skip from uh, several verses to the next verse that we're going to look at, but we want you to catch the drift of what he's saying here. And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited the Jerusalem, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem unto this day. Look at verse 27. Neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Bethshean and her towns, nor Tanak and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Dor and her towns, nor the inhabitants of... Uh, Ibliam and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Megiddo and her towns, but the Canaanites would dwell in the land. Look at verse 29. Neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites that dwell in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwelt in the Gezer among them. Neither did Zebulun, verse 30, drive out the inhabitants of uh, <clears throat> Kithron, nor the inhabitants of Nahal, but the Canaanites dwelt there among them and became tributaries. Now, when it says they became tributaries, it meant they paid them taxes or they became slaves, or they became servants to them, which sounds like a great idea, except for one problem. That's not what God told them to do. Right? And sometimes we carry stuff from the old life into the new life because it kind of serves us. But there's a problem with it, because that's not what God wants us to do. Right? Now, um, verse 33, Neither did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Bethshemesh, nor the inhabitants of Bethnath, but he dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and of Bethnath became tributaries unto them. And then skip down to chapter 2 and verse 1. And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I made you to go out of Egypt and have brought you into the land which I swear to your fathers. And I said, I will break, never break my covenant with you. And ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have ye done this? Wherefore, I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and the gods sh their, their gods shall be a snare unto you. And it proved to be exactly like that for the nation of Israel. That the, uh, the people that they didn't drive out became a snare to them. Their gods became their gods until eventually the nation of Israel got removed from the land. Now, here's, here's one, the, the application I want to make for us tonight. When we come to the Lord in salvation, obviously we've got all kinds of problems and difficulties in our lives. All of us. We've all got issues in our lives. But we're supposed to deal with the problems and the issues. We're supposed to get rid of them. We're supposed to overcome them and sort them out. And power is given to us to do just that. We have the spirit of the living God dwelling in us. He's called the comforter. He is the mighty God. 
He is the counselor. He can show you and tell you and draw out of you what needs to be dealt with. But you got to deal with it. You got to deal with it. And you know what? Dealing with stuff's uncomfortable. Dealing with the stuff that's, that's in your heart and that's blocking you back and holding you back, that's uncomfortable stuff for us. You know, most of us would sooner just coast along. We'd sooner just forget about it and carry on. The problem is we're not very good at forgetting about it and carrying on. Eventually it catches up with us, just like the nation of Israel. He said they're going to be snares to you, and they were, and they caused them all kinds of trouble. And that's what happens in our lives. You can't actually dump the things of the past that have been wrong, wrongs that have been done to you, wrongs that you have done to others, and just forget about them. They need to be dealt with. And you need to move on, and you need to come to a place where you can actually enjoy all that God has bought for you. Uh, all that Jesus Christ has bought for you. In John 10, 10, we looked at it, he bought us abundant life. In John 15, 11, that our joy might be full. Uh, in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, he bought us rest. Hebrews 4, 9 through 11 talks about the same thing. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, he bought us peace. Are you enjoying those things? Are you enjoying the things that God has given to you? Now, why are you not? You're going to say, well, it's too hard. No, it's not too hard. Anything God's given us, it's not too hard. Why did the nation of Israel not enjoy all that God had given them? Talk to me. Why did they, why, why did they not enjoy it? <clears throat> why did they not drive out the, other, the people of the land? Why do you think? It's not, they got weary? Yeah. Sorry? They didn't obey him. That's, they definitely didn't obey God. It was kind of scary, wasn't it? They, they, they were scary guys. They were kind of they, 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 they probably shouted a lot, and they had big swords, and they had spears, and they threatened all kinds. Right, so there would have been fear. There would have been weariness. There would have been kind of a, a in a wrong sense, a contentment with what they've got. Sure, listen, we had nothing last week, and this week we got vineyards and everything else. Just leave them there. It's going so much better than it used to go. Let's just, let's just be happy with what we've got and forget about that. But <clears throat> the command to them was to take all of the land. There's no command for the Christian to settle down in their Christianity and just put up with the stuff that's there. We're supposed to live victorious lives. You know, <clears throat> um, the normal Christian life is a victorious life. It's an overcoming life. A substandard Christian life is one that doesn't enjoy the things that God has given because we've never set out to take them. Listen, I'm going to heaven one day because Jesus paid the price for my sins. But between this and then, I want everything God has for me. Absolutely Everything. Don't you? Now, if that's true, there's a price tag involved in it. And we're going to have to face up to the price tag and deal with it and come through the other end of it because you don't get it for nothing. Now, don't get me wrong. When you actually obey God and step forth and do what God has told you to do, you're going to find that he's there to help you. The nation of Israel never lost a battle apart from Ai. 
You know why they never lost the battle? Because God said, I will go before you. Nobody will ever stand against you. If you set your heart to have all that God would have, would give you, I guarantee you, he'll go with you because he's all about you enjoying all that. And you can have what he has given you. Listen, do you know what the obstacle to us enjoying all that God has given us is? Guess with me. What do you think the obstacle to us enjoying all that God has given us is? Unbelief. Unbelief. You could definitely say unbelief. Sorry? Rebellion. Rebellion? Mm, That's definitely an obstacle. Sorry, say again? Ourselves. He's right. Don't we stand in our own way? It's self that rebels. It's self that goes on in unbelief. Why don't I believe? I don't believe because it might cost self. I rebel because that's not what I want for self. And so self stands in the way. So, so, so what's God's plan for dealing with self? What does he want to do with yourself? What does he want to do with you? Die to self. It's death to self. That's what we don't like. We don't like that idea at all. That's what Tozer said. If the cross would leave us alone, we'd leave it alone. If we could just get on with our lives and not have to deal with self, we'd gladly do it. But God has an amazing way of just bringing in the difficulties and forcing you to face up to self. And self has to go. There's no other way than for self to go. So the cost is you've got to go so that Jesus can reign and rule in your life. I'm crucified with Christ. That means you're dead. Nevertheless, I live. That means there's life in you. But the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. It's a different kind of life. I live by faith in Him. It's a whole different kind of deal. It's not the self-life anymore. It's a different kind of a life. It's the Christ life working through me. That's what we're afraid of. Now, let me ask you a question. How well has self served you? Scale of 1 to 10, who would say, listen, self has just been brilliant for me. It's a, I, myself is a 10. Everything, everything I've wanted in my life, I've, I, 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 I've, I've gotten because self is just good at, good at making me happy and doing what I want, right? Now, the truth is, does, doesn't it promise to? Doesn't self always promise, you know, if you, if you just go my way, you'll be happy. Everything will work out for you. But he never delivers. And the longer you live, the more you realize that, you know what? Your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all else. It's a liar. Leads you down the garden path. Leads you into all kinds of foolishness, all kinds of things that are not convenient for you and not helpful for you. And you know what? Tozer again, he said, blessed riddance, getting rid of it. But the problem for us is, we can talk about that. We can look at that idea. We can kind of even embrace the thought. But the reality of giving up on me and letting God rule, that's tough. But we need to do that. And one of the key thoughts we're going to cover as we look at this is, is, is just that thought there that uh, we need to uh, come to that place where we give up on self. Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. We've been, we've been looking at these last couple of weeks. Pause on it. 
Sorry? Who were the Jebusites? They were just people that lived in Jerusalem before. They were the Canaanite peoples that lived in Jerusalem before Israel came in. Yeah, tribes, all the, all the different tribes. Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Do you have a broken heart tonight? He's, Jesus came to heal broken hearts. To preach deliverance to the captives. To deliver those people that are captive. Captive by what? Captive by all kinds of things. Not just other people. Captive by stuff that you've stuffed for so long. It's just boring a hole in you. Um, and recovering of sight to the blind. And to set at liberty them that are bruised. Now you know when you have a bruise. And Warren has a bruise. We, we, we won't talk about Warren's bruise tonight, right? But Warren has a bruise. <clears throat> he got an injection. Uh, he, he, he had a hole in his foot, so they made another hole in him to help him. All right? But you know when you have a bruise and somebody touches off your bruise, you kind of jump, don't you? Now, don't test this out on Warren. I leave him alone, okay? <laughs> uh, but as soon as you have a bruise on you, uh, you know, everything that touches off it, in fact, it can make you very angry. Do you, you ever snap at somebody? Because they unwittingly came along and they touched your sore point? I think a lot of, a lot of Christians are doing that. A lot of Christians are, are, are kind of fussing and fighting because they've got sore spots they've never really dealt with. And um, somebody touches off them and <clears throat> they react. And Jesus came to heal those things. Yes, he came to save. That's what he came for. But, you know, he came to, to, to fix those issues and those problems. He came to do a much deeper work than we sometimes give him credit for. He came to give you eternal life, uh, but he also came <clears throat> uh, to heal you. Right? And then last week we began to look at <clears throat> some of the things that, that, that can uh, stand in our way. Uh, <clears throat> one of the most common things we talked about was a sense of unworthiness. A continuous feeling of anxiety, inadequacy, and inferiority. An inner nagging that says, I'm no good. Right? And a lot of people deal with that. And we don't talk about that because nobody's going to admit to that openly. And yet we can feel that way. Beth was telling me, she, <clears throat> a real cute story. She's, she's, she's training a class in a school for their Christmas program. And they're five-year-olds. And she says her own words. She says they're absolutely adorable. They're, 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 they're lovely. They're wide open. And they're just soaking up everything she teaches them and singing their little hearts out. And just, you know, just they, they want to please teach her. Right? And uh, so she gave them sweets for good behavior. And at the end of the class, all the kids are leaving. And there's one little kid with big eyes, and they're full of tears. And so she talks to the kid, and she says, but I tried so hard, and I didn't get a sweet. I, I, I did my best, and I didn't get a sweet. And he said, that's, yeah, that's just kids, right? Yeah, but you know what she's feeling? She's feeling, I'm not as good as the rest. And if enough of those things go in for her, that's what she ends up feeling. I'm not as good as the rest. I can't do it like they can do it. I, I can't actually <clears throat> succeed like, like, like they can succeed. And that often happens for kids, and they, 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 <clears throat> they end up growing into adults. And you see, a five-year-old will look at you with tears in her eyes. A 55-year-old won't. I, they've just internalized it now. It's become a solid part of who they are. They're not good enough. 
right? And when you come to that place where it's not good enough, you know, you live your life always expecting to be less. A lot of people do. A lot of people live that way. A lot of people. Now, does Jesus speak to that? Yeah, he does. Does salvation speak to that? It better. Salvation doesn't take us where we are and save our eternal souls and leave us hanging on for the rest of our lives. Listen, we've got to be careful how we put this, but do you know that God loves you like you're the only person on the planet? And he doesn't love you because of your performance. That's, a hard, that's, a, that, that's hard for us to get our heads around because we, we expect to be loved for performing. Why do we expect that? Why do we expect to be loved because of the way we perform? Sorry, sir? Everything is reward-based. Reward didn't, didn't, didn't your mommy tell you if you're a good boy, then uh, I'll give you good things and I'll be good to you? Yeah. Now, we've got to understand this about our homes. We can't go back and blame our parents for everything that happened to us, first of all. We'll, we'll talk about that. But uh, we've got to understand that we all were raised in broken homes because it's a broken world. And our parents brought to the table what they had to give. And oftentimes, it wasn't a lot. And if you were to trace it back, you'd find, you know what? There wasn't a lot in their homes either. So there's no point in us going to the place where it's mommy and daddy's fault, you know? It's not. That's not going to help us. But we do need to understand where some of the things that we feel come from. They're kind of conditioned. But I have a God that loves me. And he says, nothing's ever going to separate me from his love. That in his eyes, I am accepted in the beloved. I am in. I am okay. I am good. That he is pleased with me and he loves me. Now, I don't think we'll ever understand fully why he does, but he does. He has accepted me and he, and he loves me. The one that knows me best loves me most. And that's got to speak to this sense of, I'm not good enough. Because a lot of people are roaming around this world feeling they're not good enough. And if you're not good enough, whatever slop is thrown at you is okay. Or maybe you just get angry with everybody. Because what happens is, these things don't just stay where they are. We respond, we react to them. Right? Um, then we talked about the perfectionist complex. We talked about that pastor who uh, felt he had to please everybody and, <clears throat> and he, he should be able to do it, and he wasn't able to do it. And so <clears throat> he was constantly, constantly striving, but he, he was never able to keep everybody happy. Um, <clears throat> this God is dead the- theologian <clears throat> once was asked, Who is God? Right? And his answer was absolutely amazing. He said this. He said, God is that inner voice that says that's not good enough. And you know, for a lot of people, that's who God is. He's that inner voice that says that's not good enough. You got to do better. You got to try harder. 
You got you to do more. That's not who God is. That is not who God is. God is not a, somebody who can't be satisfied, can't be pleased. In fact, there's nobody easier in the world to please than God. You know, that's, that our problem is that we keep putting on God what we've received from other people. Other people have looked at you and said, that's not enough. You've got to do more. You've got to do better. You've got you to work harder. And um, listen, I don't blame, blame this man t- turning away from God. If that's who he perceives God to be, that's an impossible God to live with. You see, we serve a God who loves us, who says, come. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Nothing shall separate us, you from my love. I will never leave you nor forsake you. We serve a God who is pleased with us and who is easy to please. And sometimes uh, people are super sensitive. And the super sensitive person has usually been hurt deeply. He reached out for love and approval and affection, but instead he got the opposite. And he has scars deep inside of him. Sometimes he sees things other people don't see, and he tends to feel things other people don't feel. Now, some of you are like that. You're just super sensitive. If anyone says the, the, the wrong word to you, it's going to cut you. Now, you won't let them know. By the way, that's why it's so important that we don't say harsh words to each other. Because usually when we're saying harsh words to somebody else, somehow it's making us feel good, but we've no idea what it's doing to them. And how many times have you smiled and pretended it was okay when inside, if you could have, you'd like to go somewhere and cry? So we've got to be careful about that. You know, we can't just use heart. Because there, there are a lot of people that are sensitive, that they've been hurt. They've got, they're carrying deep hurts that they, they can't get over. Right? Now, having said that, can they get over them? They can. They can come to the place where they can actually deal with those issues and, and, and uh, come through them. And then there are people who, who are filled with fears. Perhaps the greatest of them all is the fear of failure. These damaged persons are so afraid of losing the game of life that they have a simple way out. They never get into the game. They just sit in the sidelines. They say, I don't like the rules or I don't care for the referee or the ball uh, isn't quite round or, or the goals are not right, but they have... Just ways of staying out of the game because you know what? They're terrified of everything. The fear of failure just dominates their life. They're afraid to try it in case they'd fail. Right? Now, all of these issues are actually identity issues. They're who I am issues. And all of them are ultimately addressed by the new identity I got in the moment I got saved. All of them are ultimately addressed by the fact that I'm in Christ now. But <clears throat> the problem is that so often Christians never get to that point, and so we become bad press for what Christianity really is. We, we, actually, we actually put out a pretty bad picture sometimes of what Christianity is. See, if... I say I belong to Jesus and <clears throat> I'm living for him and uh, I, I've declared myself as belonging to Jesus. But 
somebody on the outside looks at my life and it's it's a failure. Now, I mean a failure in the sense that you obviously haven't got it together. That you obviously aren't getting on top of life. That life's kind of on top of you and you're, 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 you're not getting on top of it. What happens is they look and they say, now, hang on a minute, I thought you said this Christianity thing fixes your problems. And they're looking at the reality and they're not buying it. They're looking at it and they're saying, well, you know what? If that's Christianity, I'm not sure I want it. That's often why our kids turn it down, too. They look at your life and they say, hey, you know what? If it's not working out for you, why would I want it? Yeah, so, <clears throat> folks, we got to have victory. Victory is not, you know, there's not seven levels of Christianity and finally, hopefully, you get to the level of victory. Victory is intended to be part of the believer's life from the get-go. Now, I, I get it. There are problems and issues that get in the way that sometimes we need help teasing out. I get that. I understand that, right? But if you settle down in the place where, well, you know, I'm just kind of going to keep on going. I'm going to fake it till I make it. I'm just going to keep on going uh, regardless of all, all the things that are not right. But what's going to happen is you're settling for less than God has given you because he bought you all these things. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Now listen, by the way, you could read the whole of Romans chapter 8. And all of it would speak to the issues in our hearts and lives. But I want to catch a couple of thoughts between here and the end of the chapter, right? Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Now, what are our, are our infirmities? Weaknesses. Yeah. Our weaknesses, uh, our cripplings. Do we have infirmities? How many of you have an infirmity? I have lots. And so do you. Right? And really, it does come to the place where we actually need to face up to the fact that we have. But we have uh, infirmities. But the Spirit of God helpeth our infirmities, our weaknesses. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Do you know that God didn't save you and leave you to carry on? He left his Spirit. And his Spirit is your comforter, is your helper, is your counselor, and he works with you to help you overcome the things that would hinder and hold you back. He wants to help you to overcome those things, right? <clears throat> he, uh, <clears throat> look at verse 27. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So he's talking to God on your behalf, even when you're not sure what to do and where to go and how to fix it because you don't understand. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. You know, <clears throat> Romans 8.28 is a great promise. Okay? But it's also a tough reality. Right? The promise is God's going to use all of it for your good. But the tough part of it is all of it he's involved in. There's nothing that has happened 
or will happen in my life that he's not involved in. Now, some of the stuff that happens in our lives is anything but what we want. And he says, I'm in all of it. I'm going to use all of it. Now, he's never the author of sin, but he's in all of it. Nothing happens apart from him saying, yeah, I want this to happen. All things work together for good uh, to them that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did for no, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be made the firstborn among many brethren. What's God's plan for your life? From that verse. What's his plan for your life? Okay. He wants to make you the image of Jesus. Not like a stone. The reality of a living, breathing person that's living the reality of the life of Christ. Now, doesn't that sound like a tall order? Don't you think sometimes, man, I am so far away from that? That's the plan. That's what he wants to do. He wants to make you into the image of Jesus. That's his plan. Understand that. Get that. Understand verse 28. Understand verse 29. Right? God is going to take and make you into the image of Jesus Christ. Somebody said, how do you make, how do you make somebody into the image of Jesus? Well, you just take away everything that doesn't look like Jesus. Which is a lot. So understand, Christianity is not about you getting saved and going to heaven. Because there's this gap, hopefully quite a big gap, between the salvation and heaven. Right? That's, that's reality. But this gap is where God's going to work in you to make you like Jesus, to prepare you for eternity so that he can give you a better resurrection. And he's, he thinks that time's gold dust. So he's working on you because he, he, wants, he wants to take and he wants to make you like Jesus. And he's, he's good at what he does. He's good at identifying in you and I what it is that's a problem. And then out comes the sharp scalpel and he goes after it. But we got free will. So sometimes we run from the scalpel, don't we? Sometimes we say, no, 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 I don't want that. I, 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 look, I'll just put up my problems. I, you know, I want to be like Jesus, but none of it's going to hurt. And we kind of run from it. And that's not what we need to do. Because where are you going to run to? Right? You know, so, so somebody said, said this, you know, that it's, it's like Christianity is us going up a mountain to meet God. But when we say no and we refuse to let him do the work he needs to do, we can't go any further up the mountain. We start wandering around the mountain. Around and around, like the nation of Israel in the wilderness. We're just wandering around and around and around. You've got to come back to God and say, okay, God, I want it. Because, folks, if you keep your life, you lose your life. If you lose your life, you gain your life. And you've got to understand that it's, 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 it's not a case of coasting until you get to heaven. It's dealing with the stuff. So that he can give you a better resurrection, so that he can work it out 
as you want it really worked out. Okay, Uh, verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now it goes into this beautiful passage in verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Okay, so you listen, you got problems, you got troubles, you got difficulties, you got people who are against you. If God be for us, who can be against us? Doesn't that sound like you're a winner? Do you feel like a winner? God says you're a winner. Right? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If he gave Jesus for you, what's he going to hold back on? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is, he, uh, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Now, if you've got any sanity about you, you don't want any of the things that are there in verse 35. Now, you don't want... Um, Uh, tribulation, distress, persecution. You don't want those things. But hold on a minute and catch the context of it. If you have those things and you also have the love of Christ, isn't that a different picture? Now, here's the thing. You know what? God loves us. That never changes but, you know, if we're going to enjoy his presence, we've got to walk with him in the hard things. We've got to walk with him in the hard things and let him do his work. And then we have his love in the pressure cooker. And remember the three guys that got, got cast into the fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I imagine the moment they got cast in the fire, I don't care how full of faith they were, When they felt the heat of the flames, I imagine terror held their hearts. I know it would mine. I would not be skipping into the fire, and neither would you. But then they met Jesus in the fire. And there's no fear for them now. Now they're chatting away. They're chatting away with Jesus in the fire. You see... We have to face up to the reality that God wants to do some deep work on us, but we have to also face up to the reality of, yeah, but if he's with me in the work, I'd be fine. That's faith, by the way. So, is it fearful? Yes, but do I have anything to fear? No. Because nothing can separate me from his love. There's no pain ever coming in your life that can separate you from his love. That's hallelujah territory. That is hallelujah territory. It doesn't matter what happens in your life. Nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing can separate you from his presence. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let me continue on here, though. Um, As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Not just a conqueror, more than a conqueror. 
That's you and me. We're more than conquerors through him that loved us. Why? Because he loved us, right? For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So whatever I have to face and go through, I'm going through holding his hand. I'm fine. Do you get that? All right, now, so let's look at some of the things we, we, we need to go through, right? So, and again, we're going to look at some of these issues issue by issue, but let me give you some of the broad parameters, things that you're going to have to face and deal with, right? Uh, first of all, you need to face your problems squarely, okay? Some of you in this room have got problems that hurt you a long time ago, and they're there in your hearts and they've been hurting and hurting and hurting. And what you did was you stuffed them. Because they hurt too much. They were too much for you to bear. And so you stuffed them. But they keep coming up, don't they? They have this habit of surfacing. No matter how hard you stuff them, they surface. They come up again. You know, <clears throat> it's... <clears throat> Kind of like the little girl that Beth was talking about. You know, if she gets enough of that, that's going to go in as a wound in her little soul. And the problem for a five-year-old is you can't really articulate what's going on. Five-year-olds don't go home and say, you know what, Mom? That, that, that daft teacher in school, you know, she, Mary Ellen and, and Sue and Paul, they were all messing, and they got sweets and I didn't. What do you think of that, Mom? Isn't that ridiculous, Mom? Five-year-olds don't do that. Five-year-olds assume it's their fault. Usually. Because kids are made like that. They are made for us to speak into their lives. They're made for us to actually connect with them. That's why when a child gets, gets hurt, you know, we'll say in the issue of abuse, children don't know what to do with that. So what do they stuff it? They bury it. But the problem is it doesn't say stuffed. It keeps coming back. I remember listening to a podcast on the subject of abuse, and it said this, that the problem for children is they don't have words to express what's gone on. And so they just bury it. But sooner or later, they need to put it in words. They need to actually speak about what's gone on and get it out there and deal with it. And, and maybe that's you. Maybe there's something in there that you need to speak out. I, I don't believe for a moment that we should go back through people's lives and try and find all the sore points in their lives. It's a broken world. There's a lot of sore points. But I do think this. If you've got something that won't quit annoying you and bothering you and it keeps coming up and it keeps coming out and it keeps affecting you and it keeps you know, hitting you and you stuff it down and carry on for a while... I think you need to find somebody you can talk to about it who's going to help you with it and talk it through and put words on it. And you'll be amazed at how much it helps just to put words on what happened to you. Because if a five-year-old has no clue about how to actually sort the whole thing out and so they, they, they get it all wrong. Do you remember as a kid some of the notions you had? They get it all wrong. They just get it all twisted and messed up in their heads. And you need to talk it out and deal with it. They say that one in four people in our country have been abused, which means 
Some of you have probably suffered dreadful things. And some of you need to actually talk it through. You can do it with a good friend, you can do it with a counsellor, but you've got to talk it through, you've got to get it out there. There's no way you're going to overcome if you don't actually deal with the junk. That stuff gets stuck in your soul and it just keeps coming up and it's got to be dealt with. All right, so you've got to face your problem squarely. Stop running, stop hiding, face the problem squarely. Look it in the face. You're going to find that when Jesus holds your hands, you can come through it and you can come out the other end of it and be okay. The Holy Spirit is the counselor, but you know what? There are times when we need somebody else with skin on that we can actually talk it through with. You gotta do it. And I know that's hard. And if you've never talked to anybody about it, that's really hard. But what you're going to find is that there's great blessing in it. Words are powerful things. And you being able to articulate it and speak it through can be a real help to you, right? So the first thing is you've got to face your problem squarely. The second thing is accept your responsibility in the matter. Now let me qualify that. If you were a child and you were abused by somebody, obviously, that's you have no responsibility in that. You've no reason for shame in that. You've nothing to deal with there. You, you, you've just got a problem somebody else put on you that's not fair. Right? But you know what we do when we get hurt? We react out of the hurt. And then we do things that are wrong, don't we? We react and we react to people and we do stuff that's wrong and we, we act out and we live wrong ways and so on. You've got to deal with that. You've got to come to the place where you stop blaming whoever did whatever they did in your life and you come to the place where you say, no, you know what? That was their fault, but this is actually my fault. Because the continuum doesn't stop till you actually start taking the blame for what you're doing. It's not somebody else's fault. Like, okay, <clears throat> somebody else did you wrong. That's terrible, but then you've got to deal with it. You've got to actually come to the place where you deal with it, and you've got to stop acting out of it, and you've got to start dealing with your own sin. Now, don't get me wrong. Somebody else does you wrong, that's not your fault. But what you do after that is your fault. How you respond to it with anger, with violence, with whatever it is that you respond, that, that, that becomes your fault. All right, then number three. <clears throat> Ask yourself if you want to be healed. Doesn't that sound like a silly question? Of course you want to be healed. Well, you know, Jesus asked the blind man, <clears throat> what wilt thou that I should do for you? What would you like me to do for you? Um, I'm blind. Can you just... Fix the obvious problem. But why do you think he asked him? Why did Jesus ask him, what do you want? He's he's saying, do you really want me to do that? And here's the thing. You know, you and I have problems in our lives and difficulties that dog our lives. And we've had them so long that they kind of feel that we're very comfortable with them. And actually dealing with them and getting them sorted is not comfortable. And sometimes we kind of want to hold on to the problem. Because dealing with it is too much bother, and I'm kind of used to it now. Now, what you're doing there is you're consigning yourself to having to live with the problem for the rest of your life. 
You're, you're, you're doing what Israel did. You're, you're leaving the Jebusites and the Canaanites in place in your life, and I tell you what, they're going to give you trouble. And they'll continue to give you trouble until you get it dealt with. But you've got to come to the place in your life where you say, okay, I want this sorted. Lord, I want this sorted. I want this dealt with. Whatever it takes. And I guarantee you, God will step in and God will begin to help you to get it sorted. But you've got to come to the place where I want it sorted, whatever it takes. Lord, I want to be like Jesus, whatever it takes. You do whatever you want to do in my life. I want to be. And God will step in and God will start dealing with stuff. But remember, substandard Christianity was never the plan. All the way victory is the plan. And so when you choose substandard Christianity, you choose less for yourself in all areas. But when you come to the place where you say, Lord, I want it sorted, whatever it takes. I'll do whatever you show me to do. I'll do whatever you lead me to do, Lord. I want it sorted. Then you've made a huge step forward. And the Holy Spirit, do you have a Holy Spirit who hears prayers like that? Now, you may come to the place where you say to yourself, why do I ever pray that prayer uh, when the going gets tough? I've, I've known people do that too. Right? But you know what? You'll never be sorry. Because God's good at what he does. And if you let him in, he will begin to deal with stuff in your life and begin to actually help you. Number four, you've got to forgive everyone who's involved in your problem. Now, I, I, I don't throw that out lightly. Because there's kind of a process involved in you forgiving someone that's done you a great wrong in the past. Right? There's a process, first of all, sometimes you've kind of taken responsibility for it yourself and you're saying, it's my fault. Well, it's nobody to forgive, it's your fault. You've got to come to the place where you actually realize, no, they did me wrong. Right? And you've got to forgive them in the end. You've got to come to that place where um, you accept that they did you wrong, but you've got to let go of it. I'm not looking for payback anymore. I'm not holding on to it. You've got to come to the place where you face it and where you uh, actually forgive them. Now, the next point is forgive yourself. And that's kind of strange because you can't forgive yourself. But here's what often happens for us. What happens for us is, you know, something bad happens to us. And we, we, we tend, even if we blame the person who did, the, did us the wrong, we tend to blame ourselves too. If I wasn't in the wrong place, if I hadn't done this, if I hadn't done that, if, you know, if I had been better at this, if I had actually not annoyed them, if I had, and we blame ourselves. And part of it is a false guilt that we're taking on board for stuff that really was nothing to do with us. You let go of that. You let go of that false guilt. It's not yours. Right? Now, <clears throat> The other thing is, there will be stuff you've done wrong. Because you're a broken person living in a broken world, and you've been hurt, and there will be stuff you've done wrong. And you know what? Baba says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what? If you've confessed it, it's dealt with, it's gone, you've got to let it go too. If God says it's gone, it's gone. If omnipotence has somehow put it away completely, you should too. Just quit. Quit digging in it. Quit going after it. Quit reminding yourself of it. Just let it go. 
And then number six, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to show you what your real problem is and how you need to pray. Ask the Holy Spirit, or will you just show me what the real problem is? What is it that's hindering me from getting victory in this Christian life? See, I think somehow we have the idea that <clears throat> there's, there's a zap coming someday that's going to fix us all and get us all straightened out. Now, revival is a great thing, and revival can help you enormously. But you know what? If you don't deal with the stuff in your life, what will happen is revival will come touch you, and you'll settle back down to who you were before. You've got to actually deal with the stuff in your life. It's painful, but it's much more painful to continue on living uh, with the, 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 the difficulty and the pain and the stuff. You've you got to come to the place where you deal with it. You don't have to do it yourself. You can't. When we try to do it ourselves, we frustrate God's grace. Give it into God's hands. Let God do it his way and let him heal you. Because he wants everybody in this room to enjoy the deep reality of a victorious Christian life. Now, any questions? Any, <clears throat> anything you want to ask me tonight before we close and, <clears throat> and go to prayer? Kind of scary stuff, I know. But great stuff if you let God begin to do the work that he needs to do. Ask yourself the question, am I enjoying what Jesus bought for me? Am I enjoying all of it? And if not, why not? And if there's a problem there, deal with it. Lord, show me the problem because I want all of it. There is no such thing as a, a class B Christian. Not in the plan, anyway. Jesus paid the price that we can all be victorious. It's all him. It's none of us. It's all him. Christianity is not something, victory is not something you get educated into. And I realize that sometimes you need to get uh, some deceptions pulled out of your, uh, your head to get you there. But it's not something that you get educated into. It's something you step into because Jesus paid for it for you. When Jesus paid the price of your sin, he paid for all of it and he broke its power and he gave you as a gift a victorious Christian life. Why aren't you enjoying it? Ask the Lord, what is it that's holding me back? And he'll show you. If you need to talk to somebody, then talk to somebody. Talk to me. I'll t uh, if I can't do it, I'll, I'll help you get somebody that you can talk to. But if you need to talk about it, talk about it. But deal with stuff. Don't just let it continue on killing you from the inside out. Because kill you it will. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this evening. And thank you, Lord, for these that have come. And blessed Spirit of the living God, we do ask you that you would just do a work in our hearts and lives. Lord, I'm sure there's hurt and pain in this room that we know nothing about. I'm sure there are tears in hearts right now, Lord, over things uh, that people are thinking about. But Lord, you're bigger and better, and you love us more than any of the pain that we've endured. Blessed Spirit of the living God, would you comfort that heart right now and show each one that there is victory, and it's for them, and they can enjoy it. Lord, would you bless us now in Jesus' precious name. Amen.